The Descant Music and Media Group presents In Search of Peace and Healing with your host, Celia Boone. Welcome, friends. I'm delighted that you've joined us today and hope this podcast will be helpful to you. Rather than define what this podcast is, which is really yet to unfold, let's start with what it's not. This is not a meeting, and it's not church, but a dialogue to aid our search, the search for peace and healing. In some of our episodes, my guests and I will discuss ideas and strategies that we've picked up from various places, including 12-step programs from churches and many other sources. Take what you like and leave the rest. Hello again to my listeners. I'm so glad you've joined me um, for yet another one of the podcasts, In Search of Peace and Healing. So I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about during the first part of this podcast, and we're coming to the end of the year, and, you know, a lot of people are putting out their accomplishments, their organization's accomplishments for what we accomplished, what we did in 2018, And it's a good time for me to kind of reflect back upon the last year. I tend to do reflecting. I try to do it every day. You know, how am I doing? You know, how's my spiritual fitness? Do I need to be taking more action? Um, That kind of thing. But at the year end, you know, I kind of like to look back too and see how I'm doing. Now, ordinarily, I do not make New Year's resolutions. And the reason why is that typically I've had lots of good intentions, really, really good intentions, and the road to hell is freshly paved and easily accessible just because of my good intentions alone. But I've learned that it's really not so much what I think or how I feel, but the actions that I take, which determine the quality of my life and the quality of my spiritual fitness. So when we started 2018, I made a decision that this year I was going to clean up my eating. I am a vegetarian. Um, I do use dairy products and occasionally eat eggs, but I don't eat fish or chicken or other things like that, but I'm carrying more weight than my body needs and more than is appropriate for me, I think. So, you know, I'm still in the mode of working on my health, trying to manage my health well. So I started out and, um, really radically changed some of what I was eating. Went to pretty much raw foods, garden salads with all kinds of vegetables in them, zucchini, broccoli, cauliflower, you know, tomatoes, different things that are really good for you. And um, tried to cut out a lot of salt, most sugar. I make, you know, I'm sure I get traces of a little bit here and there, and I might pop a a lifesaver in my mouth or something, but overall really cut out 
most sugars. And um, I was hoping that it would help me feel better. And it didn't so much do that. But in the process, you know, I've lost about 40 pounds this year. But I didn't set out to lose 40 pounds. I just set out, I want to try to clean up my eating and put healthier things into my body. Maybe not so many chemicals and preservatives, although I probably could use all the preservatives I can get at my age. And and so I thought, okay, well, that's good. You know, that's something I can feel legitimately good about. And, you know, I didn't really set any other resolutions except my daily resolution is I want to grow spiritually. I want to be helpful. And so, you know, looking back, I can see about, see things that happened that were not, did not fit into my plan A. There is a saying, and I really don't know who even said it to give them credit, but this, the quote goes like this, your success in life is largely dependent upon how well you adapt to plan B. And I'm going to add to that or plan C or D or E, maybe F. And on a hell day, it's probably G. The one constant in life is change. And so, you know, for me, a lot of times I was very uncomfortable with change and I didn't want things to change, If especially if they were good. I wanted them to always stay good. If I, you know, have a peacetime where things are rocking along, going pretty well, you know, um, I'd like for them to stay that way. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, they don't, which is also a good thing because... Pain is the touchstone of spiritual growth. I fully believe that. My support network taught me that very early, that, you know, if we didn't have pain, why would we bother growing? So pain is, there's, there is utility in struggle in our lives. What about you? Did your plan A work out? Mine rarely do. If not, you know, what did you do? What mistakes did you make? I made lots of them. The cool thing about a mistake, though, is if I make a mistake and I learn something from it, it is no longer a mistake for it has become a lesson. And so I've learned, too, instead of beating myself up, oh, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, there are all these things that need to be done and I didn't get to certain key ones or certain ones that I was telling myself, okay, I really need to do this. But I can choose to look at it like, oh, I suck. Or I can look at it like, look what I've learned during this year. Look what I've learned during the hardest times of my life. I've learned that I'm a lot stronger than I ever thought I was. I've learned that I have pretty high resiliency, and that's a good thing. And I've learned that what I give my mental attention and my power to when I'm planting positive seeds into the universe, I've learned that positive seeds tend to have positive harvests. And so 
I try to really be positive and really reframe negative things um, in my mind so that they don't generate more fear and lead me into morbid thinking or or pessimistic thinking and um, and lead me into a place of fear. So as we go into the new year, it's always good, I think, to have goals. I try to make mine manageable so that, you know, I, I'm not going to have to clear up every single thing that's wrong with me and somehow pull out a magic wand from somewhere and, and make myself perfect. That's not going to happen. There's so many times I don't get it right. But I'm perfectly human. It's okay to make mistakes. We all do. Um, and the question is, are we going to learn from them? Will we make mistakes? Are we going to make amends for that? And really, truly, making amends for me is not just saying I'm sorry. When there's an amendment to the Constitution of the United States, it's a change. And so for me, making amends means, okay, if I did something that hurt someone or, you know, was rude or unkind or anything like that, for me, making an amends is saying I'm sorry to that person and also explaining I'm going to try really hard not to do that to you again, but also not to do it to other people's because that's not the kind of person I want to be. And um, that seems to be working. Am I perfect? Oh, goodness, no. Goodness, no, goodness, no. Do I still hurt people? Yes, and it's usually unintentionally, but still, you know, sometimes things happen and I just, not meaning to hurt somebody, I hurt them. And, you know, I just try, I'm trying to be aware of that, aware of the effect I have on others more. And as we begin the new year, um, you know, I'm, I'm still going to keep as a daily goal, spiritual growth, but I'm kind of looking around for, okay, um, the clean eating is pretty much a habit now. And so it's not as hard, but I'm kind of now looking for, okay, so as far as changing my actions, I'm looking for something that's going to um, consist of a change in actions, you know, either daily or several times a week and that kind of thing for me. So I'll let you know as we progress how that goes. Now, you've heard me talk about my support system, but as of yet, you haven't met any of them. Today, though, you get to meet one of my dear friends named Beth. Now, I will tell you one thing about my guests. My support network, you may not have heard their names. They may not be gracing magazine covers or, you know, have 14 jillion followers on Twitter or whatever. They, they, you know, they're not household names, but I tell you what, they are rock stars to me because they have helped me. They have saved my life, saved my rear end, saved my sanity. 
and I love them with all my heart. And so we're going to take a quick break. My producer, my beloved husband, is over there waving at me like he needs to take a break. So uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will bring you Beth, the amazing Beth Butler. You're listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Bloom. We'll return to the show in just a moment. If you are enjoying this podcast and would like to learn more, we invite you to go to our website, descant-mmg.weebly.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget LinkedIn. Our podcast can be found on the Spreaker Network. Go to www.spreaker.com and then do a search for Descant Music and Media Group. We can also be found on Apple Podcast, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. So, pick your directory, subscribe, and then download episodes to join us on this journey. Thank you. So I'm delighted to have as my guest today, my dear, wonderful friend, Beth Butler. Now, Beth is not only my friend, actually, she's also my boss. Um, The day that we met, I came for a job interview, and she put me to work and then said at the um, couple hours later, by the way, you're hired. Yeah. So, hello, Beth, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Celia. Yeah, no pressure, right? Her <laughs> boss. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I'm wonderfully, wonderfully easy to manage, right? You are. What are you saying? <laughs> we, we just go. We, we have fun. We have a lot of fun. Um, no, it's, it's, everything happens at the kitchen table, right? I mean, there you so go. The beauty of <laughs> the beauty of working from home. There you go. No, it's awesome. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Beth. So, Beth has uh, a really cool story. One of the first things that I learned about Beth is that she's an absolute ray of sunshine, <laughs> and she just she just is. And um, can can you talk to my seventeen year old, please? Yes. After, oh, after yes, this, we'll, we'll make sure he hears this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you will become way more of a ray of sunshine as he ages. <laughs> okay. So, Beth, you have an invisible disability. Could you talk a little bit about that? I can. So, I um, have what's called hypoplasia of the optic nerve, which is just a really fancy medical term for underdeveloped. Um, optic nerve and was born with it. Uh, it was diagnosed at age four um, at uh, Boston Palmer Eye Institute in in Miami, which is uh, which was home. I was I grew up in in South Florida, and um, so I you know I I was actually um, diagnosed uh, at age four, but my my great grandmother was actually the one that that discovered the uh, the issue and suggested to my parents that I. They take me to the doctors to to get some things checked out. So um, she was a an integral part of that the beginning of that journey. So what did the doctor say to your parents? So when I uh, when I 
went over, I was misdiagnosed actually originally. Um, and my parents were told that I would be totally blind. Um, and that they actually had them looking into schools for the blind and, and obviously that was a, a, a traumatic a bit of news for them. And uh, although I don't remember a, a tremendous amount of it, um, I was young, but I um, was told later that, you know, that was obviously a really um, you know, sad, sad time. I mean, I think it was around Christmas time as well. So anytime they looked at the Christmas tree, it was like, is this going to be the last one that Beth sees? And and then they got referred to a specialist um, in uh, Dr. J. Lawton Smith. Uh, who, as I learned later on, after um, learning more about him in my in my older years, um, he was really uh, just incredibly gifted in in the area of neuro ophthalmology, and so we had the the I had the privilege of going to be examined by him. And uh, I remember, I do remember uh, going in and and going through the the tests, and it was an all day uh, appointment, and. One of the first things that he did was he came in and introduced himself. And at that time, he was, you know, in my eyes, he was old. You know, he was probably like in his 30s, right? <laughs> but he was like 100. Um, and he, um, he shared, he, he asked um, if we could, we could join hands and pray before he examined me. And this was back in 1974, 75, I guess. Mm. And I will never forget. I mean, that to me was... was Incredible. Now, my family was—we were believer, and you know, we went to church. Uh-huh. Uh, we prayed some at meals, certainly at, at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and we went to church. You know, my sisters were involved in, in in youth group, and we did choir and that kind of thing. So, church was a part of our of our experience, but it wasn't a personal relationship, really. Okay. Uh, and so, that was really profound for me. And. Um, so Dr. Smith prayed, we went through the series of tests, and uh, he came back in and said, okay, this is, this is what she has. Uh, she's got underdeveloped optic nerve in both eyes. Uh, she's got, you know, 2,200 vision in each eye. And again, I'm, I'm, again, as a four-year-old, I didn't, right, this, isn't, uh, this is just information right. that I learned, you know, afterwards. But, uh, and he said, you take her home, and you treat her like your other two daughters, or you're going you're gonna to make a cripple out of her is the word that he used. And, um, yeah. So, so they did that. They did that. They did that. Um, they took me home and, uh, I have two older sisters and one is only 17 months older. And so we were always very close and, uh, they didn't restrict me in any way. They let me do what I was comfortable with doing, um, which was just about everything. Um, rode my bike, um, unassisted uh, played softball when I got old enough to try out. And of course I learned later, you know, I, I, I always knew I was never like super great, but I had a sister that was like awesome. Right. I mean, she played in like the world series. She was all right. So, so I was kind of the little, you know, bonus pack, right. That came with her. So, um, but, uh, we, we played and then I had my moments. I had my moments. I, um, had a best friend that was really good in, in softball, Marsha Frangle, um, who quite frankly, again, as we look and see how God puts people in your path, um, her parents were, were really uh, prayer warriors for my family forever, forever. Mm. And so uh, she and I were really great friends and still are. Um, and she was an awesome pitcher, fast pitcher. She did the, the windmill pitch, if you're familiar with softball. Oh. <clears throat> so really fast. <laughs> And uh, no one could hit off of her. 
And so we were on opposite teams and she was pitching one day and, and I get up to bat. And of course, all you have to do for those of you that are softball players out there, when they're, the pitches are coming in that fast, you just have to connect with the ball and the ball's going to go flying. And sure enough, uh, I got a connection that day and I got a double off of her and I don't know who was happier her <laughs> she's jumping up and down and her, her her coach at the time Marcia get your head in the game you know she was like we're like oh yeah okay whatever she's blind you know she's blind and she hit the ball it was awesome so um we had you know again little 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 stories like that that uh, it, but it never kept me and I think that's the big thing it never kept me from participating um you know, wasn't, wasn't always the best on the team and, and had some moments where, you know, did I get embarrassed? You know, I'm chasing a big old thing that I think is a fly ball out to right field <laughs> and a, during a night game. And it's just a big old Florida moth, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but those are little secrets that only I know about, you know, and maybe people that are like, what's she doing out there? <laughs> but, but, you know, it was, um, it was, it was more about just being a part of the team. And, uh, I loved that. Right. I loved Loved that. So right, okay. So um, you're a runner. I am a runner. I am a runner. Yeah, I haven't run, but, but not on trails. Yeah, no, yeah, not, <laughs> not no trail running. No more. Yeah, that's right. You heard that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because you you do. I, I I often will find myself in the midst of, and I, the older I get, I probably am. I'm not going to say wiser because I'm not sure that that's true. Uh, but I don't put myself in situations like that as often. <laughs> but when I do, I'm going, oh, please, Lord, please just get me, get me out of here. Yeah, the trail run that uh, everyone's going. Now, you've done a trail run, right, before? Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I think so. You know, I think I have. <laughs> a little gravel, something. No, I went on a trail run. That was, uh, yeah, I don't even know how sighted people, I mean, really, it's, uh, there were roots and there were, you know, um, uh, yeah, rocks and just craziness. And I, I promised myself that if I got through that 5K trail run with two ankles that were still attached to my body, <laughs> that I would never do that again. And, and I, I promise you, I'm putting this, on, you know, in, in verbal um, recording right now, you hear me say, if I ever look like I'm going to do a trail run again, you just... Uh, remind me of this, uh, of this recording. So, <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> so you did something else that is, um, unusual for people who have low vision or blindness. Um, you went to law school. I did. And you graduated. I did. And that <laughs> is amazing. Um, you know, and that to me speaks of your parents having followed the doctor's prescription mm -hmm. to treat you the same mm -hmm. as your sisters, mm -hmm. because you have this fearless spirit, or at least that's how it appears. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you went to law school and you graduated and that is a great accomplishment. So now, um, you have shared with me that um, your mother was an alcoholic. Yes. And at some point, she and your father split up. Right. And um, so you were living with her, and yes. she was in active alcoholism. And anybody who's grown up in an alcoholic family can understand that there's trauma and damage done, you know, to kids growing up in alcoholic homes. 
I guess I want to bring in here, um, you shared with me that, you know, you found out in college that your mom's drinking was probably the reason mm-hmm. why your retina, why your um, optic nerves were not fully developed. Right. Did you have resentment about that? You know, um, I have really asked myself that question so many times um, in my own recovery, quite frankly, right? Because, you know, I think one of the one of the things that I learned shortly after college um, was that um, the we can get through our childhood, right? And um, but it's it's really not until we become adults and start to get into relationships ourselves that we look and realize the dynamics of the relationships that we seek out often mirror so unfortunately that unhealthy pattern right. that we that we learn in our homes and so it was it was after graduation and I was staying with my dad uh, and my mom of course they were divorced and so mom was nowhere around but uh, I found the dynamics of the relationship that my sister and I were both staying with dad, right? So she was 22, maybe I was 21, something like that. And, and, uh, but there was just this dynamic of, um, of unsettledness and, and kind of, you know, turmoil in some, and, and I finally realized, wow, this is the, the impact, right. Of, of living in a family that doesn't know quite how to communicate with one another. Right. And, and that whole illness of, um, of alcoholism and everybody has the role to play. And, 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 uh, mine was mediator. So, uh, I really was, you know, beginning to understand the impacts. And so as a result of that, got involved with, um, ACOA or adult children of alcoholics and started my own journey on, on recovery and kind of learning more about that. And so in the course of, I think that, awareness and, and understanding began to think, boy, I don't remember a time when my mom didn't drink. And, uh, so, um, had, uh, had asked mom, uh, or da- my dad actually, you know, do you know if, if mom's drinking was uh, the cause of, of my vision problem? And I remember my dad, you know, dismissing that fairly quickly. Uh, and of course, part of that is, you know, his own denial about the, you know, the alcoholic and, and he knew mom had a problem, but it was her problem. (laughs) And so, uh, so yeah, dad, dad obviously knew about my mom's drinking problem. Um, and, uh, um, but, but it was, it was his, uh, I'll never forget. In fact, he came home one time and, and had gone after we started going to ACOA, you know, my sister and I, and he, he came back and shared his experience and had gone to a, an, an ACO meeting. And, oh, he was so proud because he'd fixed every single person in that room oh. <laughs> in just an hour, you know, just an hour. And he just went on and on. And my sister and I are like, oh, now what meeting was that you went to? Because we're never going back, right? We're never going back. <laughs> so anyway, and again, I mean, I love my dad. I mean, he was incredible. And so, but... um Again, it was just, it was a demonstration of what we all know, right? Which is, it's not just about the alcoholic. It's about, it's about the family and the unit that's impacted. And so, um, as I, as I started that, that journey, I really did kind of want to learn a little bit more about, about the why, because I had two sisters that didn't have vision problems. It wasn't until my senior year in college when, um, 
I had had gone to to West Virginia University, and Mom had actually uh, moved there uh, from South Florida and uh, attended college at West Virginia with me. Uh, I. I went to college. Yeah, my mom followed me to college. That's just a whole nother show. Oh, wow. Whole nother show. That was before the movie came out, right? That was way before the movie came out. And um, we actually we had a class together, political science class together. But the other part of that is, let me say this, that I see God's hand in the midst of all that. Because, um, you know, today, right, whatever we are, December 21st, 2018, um, my mom passed in December of 2004. So I, and she passed at a very young age, right? 65, which is young, really young. Um, so I look back on those moments of where you're just going, this, are you kidding me right now? Not only was she in my political science class, we actually happened to, I pledged Pi Phi. So I was in the same sorority that she had been in. So mm-hmm. she was an alumni. So when she would come to the sorority house, right? I, I, I kid you not, I would come back from class and my mom would be in the kitchen of the sorority house, chatting it up with the cook and just, and everyone's like, oh, your mom is so cool. And I'm like, there is nothing cool about this. Nothing. <laughs> Is your mom coming to college with you? No. Okay. End of, end of story. Okay. Um, but I look back on those times now and I, I am grateful, um, for the time that we did have. Um, uh, but it wasn't always, it wasn't always wonderful. Right? right. So, um, but my senior year, um, she came downstairs. Um, it was actually the night before graduation and hands me an envelope with a letter in it. And she was drunk at the time. She had been drinking that night and uh, hands me this letter and said, you need to read this. And so uh, I opened it up and, and read it and had a lot of medical stuff in it. But the bottom line was that her drinking had caused the um, birth defect or the, the um, underdeveloped uh, optic nerves. That, that was my issue. And um, I just remember reading it and thinking, and the, the letter was dated 1984. And so this was 1989. And I just remember thinking, why is she sharing this with me now? Because I'm okay. You know, it's, I mean, I'm graduating from college tomorrow and, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's okay. And so I, I didn't realize, I think, until I became a mom myself, right, and gave birth to my son that uh, you, you really realize, right, the guilt that she must have carried and had to carry her whole life. Yes. Right. I'm sure she drank a lot over that yeah. as well. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to actually ask Beth to stick around and continue this interview on our next episode. Um, So you guys be sure to tune in uh, because we're going to be talking about how Beth finds peace and healing, the things that she does and and what helps her. So I'm sure you won't want to miss it. And thanks so much for listening today. hope that each of you is blessed beyond all measure as you move forward with whatever plans you have. Take general care. You've been listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone, a production of the Descant Music and Media Group, providers of music and media production as well as business services for small businesses and nonprofit organizations. 
follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or visit our website at descant-mmg.weebly.com. Our podcast can be found on the Spreaker Network. Go to www.spreaker.com and then do a search for Descant Music and Media Group. And remember, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. So pick your directory, subscribe, and download episodes to join us on this journey. Thanks, and see you soon.